0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X Studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Capital Club Radio, brought to you by Flock Specialty Finance. Hello and good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of Capital Club Radio, sponsored by Flock Specialty Finance. I'm the producer here today, Ryan McPherson, and it's my distinct pleasure to welcome our host, the dynamic Michael Flock. (laughs) Thank you, Ryan. And we are absolutely (laughs) delighted to be with you this afternoon and our our, uh, loyal listeners. Uh, We are really pleased to have as our guest today, uh, Matthew Maloney. Uh, Who is uh, he and his family had a long and exciting and colorful history in the collections and debt buying industries. And and Matt's going to talk to us today about what he has learned in the past and how that is going to kind of help drive him in the future. Uh, He is the co-founder, chief investment officer, and president of a group of companies now called the First First Fam Three Hundred and Sixty Group. He's responsible for the uh, strategic growth and development of the company and has, in fact, raised nearly $250 million in investment capital uh, over the years, with receivable assets aggregating over $15 billion. He's active in all the industry trade associations, ACA, DBA, Experian, holding multiple positions on the boards and panels mm. as a presenter. Uh, he's also co-authored one of the industry's official due diligence guidelines, Manuals for Debt Buyers, which was published by uh, ACA. So today, Matt, we want to start by you sharing with our audience, you know what you have learned over the years. I know your your father was kind of the original founder in 1970. Uh, well, he started in 1970, and then he founded you know a couple businesses, acquired several businesses over there in 1970. That's I don't right. even know if you were born then. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so you were literally kind of the born into the industry, and literally. both your parents and your mother, Mary, also uh, as a key officer and a leader in the company. Yeah. Um, It's what a rich, what a rich history you've got. And yet over those decades, so much has changed. How, how have you, what have you learned in the past from your parents and all the, the ups and downs that they experienced and how has that driven you to the strategy that you got today, which is much different, focused on healthcare collections and debt buying analytics, revenue cycle management. Wow. Such a radical, uh, new direction. Can you give us all some background and how you went from the past, what you learned then and how that's applying now to the future.
1: Yeah. uh, First of all, that was a, that was a mouthful, wasn't it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. Um, You know, let me, let me, I'd like the audience to know this. I I come from a, uh, a background of uh, serial entrepreneurs. uh, As you said, Michael, my um, father has been uh, an owner and operator of uh, every company that he's, uh, uh, ever been with. He's been in, in, in ownership, either complete, uh, wholly owned or or partially owned. And so coming from a background of serial entrepreneurs um, and having a fairly small family, I'm an only child. Uh, one of the things that uh, uh, really was instilled in me at a young age was uh, hard work, ethics and values. Um, my uh, parents taught me never to take anything for granted. And the things that uh, that we and that they were able to achieve and accomplish over time um, as, uh, uh, you know, as they grew in their careers, uh, owning small companies and then eventually larger companies, that it all came with hard work. And um, and so the hard work and ethics uh, and the values were instilled in me at, y- at a young age. Um, and, you know, what's interesting is, <clears throat> as I've seen the business transform, uh, and as you mentioned, I was literally born into this industry. Uh, and... and um, Initially, initially I didn't even want to come and work in the industry because I'd been around it my entire life. Yeah. And uh, initially, after I graduated undergrad, I didn't work in it. But then I I came back to it, and and
0: you probably want to strike out in your own, do your own thing yeah, for a while. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And 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 the story goes is I was literally sitting around the Thanksgiving table mm-hmm. in uh, November of two thousand and one, mm-hmm. and I came to uh, the family and said, "Listen, I, I want to start a company that buys and finances or invests in." Accounts receivables. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I didn't think that I wanted to build an operation in receivables management or collections like they had done. I just wanted to buy and finance it. And, and at the time, my father said, well, oh, I'll tell you what, our non-competes are about to be up from uh, selling our prior company. And which one was that the prior company that was uh, it, it was BOMAR was the oh. platform which became Compass International Services Corporation uh, when they took it public. And then they sold that to NCO group. Uh, I believe that was they sold it in 97 right. or 98. I can't remember. I think okay. And, uh, so, and so so he, he said, I'll tell you what, my non-compete's about to be up. Why don't we start this business together? And so that's what we did. And kind of the rest is history. Um, we formed. We formed. Uh, first Financial Asset Management shortly after acquiring a very small company called First Financial Services that was in Atlanta, Georgia. And that gave us the the systems, the the licensing and the platform we needed to to ultimately you know, drive our, our business growth. But, and didn't uh, you acquire one in Arizona? Uh, that was in 2004, Fidelity Risk Solutions, yep. right. two years later, okay. two years after we started the business, we we acquired about a year and a half to two Fidelity, years later. Fidelity, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. which uh uh, one of the partners in that business, uh, Steve Goldstein, is actually a current partner of ours today, mm-hmm. uh, and he actually lives out in Phoenix. Uh, we have an office out there. So, but you know, I, I think fundamentally, I mean, we could spend uh, I could spend days uh, with a list of all the things that I've learned, uh, both positive and negative. Um, but I think that that you know, the, the one of the one of the key things is understanding that that you can't take things for granted. And nothing comes easy, and it
0: all starts with dedication and hard work. And things for granted, you mean like capital resources, or customers, or I, employees, or yeah, great, great all question. Of the above?
1: Really, really, I'd say all of the above. Um, uh, you can't take the things that, uh, uh, and, and I have a I have a very strong faith based uh, um, uh, platform for myself, and that how I approach my business affairs, and, and so faith is a big part of my business. Uh, but you can't take for granted the things that uh, you know the good Lord puts in front of you, both positive and negative, because they're all learning experiences. Mm-hmm. And and so uh, the relationships that we have with our capital partners, the relationships that we have with our clients and customers, um, those don't come easily. They they come with hard work only hard work. And, and um, it's important to uh, to always know where you came from before you can understand where you're going. And that's, that's a great. Big thing. That's a great
0: quote. Yeah. So. Um, are there any particular you know. stories that are still kind of riveted in your mind that you'll never ever forget good or good or bad? <laughs> um, well uh,
1: the, there there are a few um, actually there there're probably many. I mean the first that I, that, I, that I mentioned earlier is how we started the business, which literally was sitting around the Thanksgiving table with family right. and then started right. the business with family um, the, 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 there were four I'll, I'll say it this way there were four events, four major events in my life that really uh, I think are noteworthy of mentioning and that shaped who I have become not only as a person, but as a business professional and a business leader. Um, and, 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 uh, I think a lot of people take these for granted, but there were four important events for me. And my, the first one was my marriage. Um, you know, marrying my wife who was, uh, also my, uh, high school sweetheart, uh, which is, uh, which is a whole other story. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, that, that, that event shaped who I have become as a, as a man, as a husband and as, as a business leader, her ability to, um, really just present thoughts in an unfiltered way, um, that, that gets to the point. I tend to be a little long winded. She tends to be a little <laughs> right to the point and, but she's helped shape me in that. Right. Yeah. And that's helped shape who I am in, in business. And yeah. then, um, you know, the other three events They're they're, they're, they're kind of in the same vein, but they were the birth of each of my three children. And, um, as as uh when, when when we had our first child uh, i started um you know thinking about who i was as a as a person who i was as a husband and who i was in my business and and what did i want my children to know about me in our business and in our career in my career and um there's a there's a there's a, a concept that's called legend versus legacy and uh, when I first started my career and we first started this business, I would say that I was more focused on the legend. Like, what could I do? What can I accomplish? What's the legend of, mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. of Matt Maloney, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. As time has gone on, that has shifted more from legend to legacy and, 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 and legacy is what, it, what impression can I leave on the people that I work with that work for me and with me? What impression can I leave around the, the and, and, and what can I leave behind, um, even when I'm when I'm growing in my career, and then eventually when I'm when I'm gone in my career, and how have I impacted those people's lives? And that's one of the the, the core values that, that we have in our in our business today, and which comes is really birthed out of my family, um, and 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 particularly with my wife and my three children is is I want to build a business that has a lasting impression on the communities in which we operate in, not from a legend mindset, but from a legacy mindset. Right? It's not about uh and, and yes business is about you know uh, a for profit business is about what we accomplish and, and 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 how we grow our business but i think it's equally and perhaps even more important to focus on uh how we impact the communities that we operate in and that and i mean what i mean by that is you know the, the industries that we operate in and that was one of the reasons why i started moving towards healthcare um
0: about uh so you're saying it's the legacy is more the service that you're providing to the customers, investors, and employees. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. so healthcare, that's a logical segue, Matt. Now, you know, your parents' companies were mostly in the credit card and auto, the traditional charged-off consumer debt world, which was dominated by credit card auto. Um, you know, consumer installment loans, the traditional stuff. Healthcare then was not, I don't think hospitals were even selling, Right. Uh, back in the you know eighties and nineties,
1: if, if there were any if there were any sales of any of any uh, patient responsibility, bad debt receivables, or other types of patient responsibility accounts receivables, if there were any back then, it was very far and few between, right. and probably not.
0: Right. So how did you go then? I mean, I'm trying to connect the dots here. That yeah, So it's it's logical then in the in the healthcare community with some of the challenges that we've got with insurance and compliance and so forth. How did you come up with that direction? What was it that drove you to healthcare? Was it the size of it? Was the complexity? Yeah. Service? What was it?
1: Yeah. So uh, I, I think there were, there were two things fundamentally that were going on in our business. Number one, we saw the industry was starting to con- constrict and, and contra- uh, uh, change. There was change that was taking shape in the industry and in the industries that we serviced which at the time was not healthcare. As you mentioned, we were in auto, consumer financial services, card products, those types of things. And we started looking at some of these, these, these changes to, uh, taking shape uh, and we said, if we don't make a concerted effort to start developing other alternative marketplaces, we could be standing here five years from now with uh, a business that has shrunk significantly because of various challenges that were going on in the industry, and so uh, you know, yeah, sometimes you rather say you rather be lucky than smart. And I think there was a little bit of luck and there was a little bit of genius in this uh, in, in both respects. But we looked at healthcare and said, "Wait a minute, we we in a prior life, the our organizations, our companies had been in healthcare, but in mm-hmm. the existing company, we had never been in healthcare." So um, we started looking at opportunities to how we were going to move into healthcare, and uh, it, it it we kind of. We, there's two routes to go you can grow organically or you can go through ac- grow through acquisition and so we decided at the time that uh, we were going to identify a small company, a small platform, just as we did when we started our business. we mm-hmm. wanted to identify a small platform that we could um, that we could purchase and that would give us the background, the pedigree that we needed to enter the healthcare space and then, and then subsequently grow. And so we, we actually identified two very small companies, one that was mostly focused on, um, what they call early out or extended business office services, um, doing more insurance follow-up and, and, and patient billing and collections. And then we found another one that had done, uh, and was really more focused on managing charged off or bad debt receivables. And uh, within a fairly short time period of one uh, of one another, we closed the acquisition of both of those companies, uh, and it gave us essentially a, about a twenty-year background in healthcare. Were these
0: the companies in South Carolina? Uh,
1: one was in South Carolina, and one was in Brunswick, Georgia. Actually, okay. yeah. Okay. And um, so we used that background, that pedigree, to to, to basically fuel our future growth. And so uh, immediately, we started building a business plan around. How we were going to approach those existing customers, and then how we were going to reach out to the healthcare community at large, and 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 um, you know present our swath of services, which included a product that we call reimbursement guarantee, which is kind of a fancy way of saying we we buy uh, the receivable. Um, and so uh, we started talking to those hospitals and 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 uh, other healthcare providers in the community, and we knew that there wasn't a lot of uh, competition on on those companies that were out there purchasing receivables, there were a couple of companies that Mm -hmm. were out there that had been in the space for quite some time, and they were solely focused on uh, either buying receivables, and, of course, most of the healthcare uh, uh, revenue cycle management community was focused on servicing the revenue cycle, whether it was billing or collections. But there were a few that purchased uh, receivables, and so we wanted to take the approach that we could offer a a broader menu of services and um, not only offer the ability to purchase patient responsibility receivables, but uh, uh, create a vehicle that allowed us to help the healthcare providers with other financial classes by purchasing those receivables and pulling forward those future cash flows so that they could realize the
0: net present value of those, of those uh, receivables. So is that the primary value then to the creditors of what you do? I, I, I think, I, well, it's, I, it's I, moving forward the cash flow. Yeah. Accelerating their cash. Is that the primary or are there other intangibles that? Great question,
1: yeah. So I, I think that that um, one thing that differentiates us, right, um, is that we uh, we bring a more holistic approach than what we believe our competitors and maybe peers do, because we are we have the ability and we have the structure and the um, the infrastructure and, and and the foundation and the capital to be able to purchase. Patient responsibility receivables, uh, commercial and managed care insurance, uh, TPL and motor vehicle accident claims, all all types of financial class accounts receivables or AR within the healthcare revenue cycle, whereas some of our competitors Mm -hmm. are more um, homogenous in that they focus on we'll just buy patient responsibility or there are companies out there that just purchase motor vehicle accident claims or personal injury claims. And so our experience infrastructure and our operations team, and then uh, most importantly, or equally as important, our capital is structured in such that we can bring a, a, a broader opportunity to accelerate that revenue cycle for the healthcare providers and, um, and pull forward again, those,
0: those future, uh, so is camps. it sort of like a continuum then of like cash flow solutions? And is that is is that kind of what's behind the 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 term now or your new name of First Fam F F F A M three hundred and sixty Yeah, is that how Yeah, that's wow, ex- that okay.
1: That's 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 you, okay. you got it. That's exactly how we uh, developed that is because you know we we wanted to we wanted to show uh, in our branding and who we are that we're we're able to touch at every phase of the cycle right and in the patient side we call it the patient financial engagement cycle um, uh, you know and and how that patient have that engagement with that patient at all points whether it's from data service or uh, shortly after date of service or even all the way down to late stage bad debt how we're able to bring solutions to our clients and our customers in the healthcare space that can um, either act in a more traditional capacity where we right. can where we can build the patients and collect them if that's what they want us to do right? or we can provide them a capital intensive solution that pulls forward all those future collections um, at an appropriate net present value and, and and, uh, and, and generate uh, an
0: accelerated revenue cycle for the healthcare. So it's program. almost like a supply chain. Is, it, is that analogy yeah, to that? Yeah, that's, yeah it okay. is. Yeah, that's a great analogy. Yeah. And yeah. so you're, you're telling me, I think, that the way you differentiate FirstFam now going forward is it the way you put it all together is what sets you apart.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's right. And, and so, you know, we, we have focused on um, really trying to create uh, products that are responsive to the existing and current needs. Of the industries that we operate in, uh, and, and I didn't mention this earlier, but we operate also in the insurance space, um, which is somewhat in parallel to healthcare. But we're, we're we're managing subrogation receivables, and that's a different space. But there's some crossover between the motor vehicle accident claims uh, and personal injury claims that we uh, manage uh, and or uh, purchase or finance in the healthcare space, and then what we do in the in the subrogation space. But Going back to my thought that we, we, we try to stay ahead and start developing products that are responsive to the needs of, this, of, the, of the industries we service. In healthcare, one of the, one of the um, greatest needs that has come about probably in the last – I'd say specifically the last 24 months, and part of this has been brought about because of the Affordable Care Act, uh, ACA, uh, oftentimes Lucy referred to as Obamacare, is there has been and will continue to be a significant and sustainable growth in patient responsibility or patient liability claims that sit uh, on the uh, financials of the hospitals. Uh, today, I've seen different quotes in different uh, trade journals and, and, and different statistics in different trade journals and industry associations, but on average today we've seen uh, patient responsibility is on average between 8 and 16% of a healthcare provider's AR within five years, that trend line goes up to close to 50%. And mm-hmm. I've seen it as low as 38. I've seen it as high as 51 in different publications that I've looked at and analyses that have been performed. And so that is significant. It, the, the, the community has to remember that of all the different financial classes is what they're referred to in healthcare. Of all the different financial classes, patient responsibility is by far and away the most expensive to collect. Mm-hmm. It's the uh, most time-consuming to collect, and it's the least collectible. Mm-hmm. And so, for years, traditional methods have been: well, we'll just we'll just kind of do some heavy lifting. We'll try to, um, mm-hmm. you know, pursue the collection and recoveries of these losses from 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 these patients through traditional means. Those strategies will not work. Uh, you know, now or and into the future because right. of the significant amount of the AR that's related to patient responsibility. So the healthcare providers have to figure out what I call revenue cycle 2.0 when it re- relates to patient responsibility. They have to find a better way to be able to l- turn those unpaid balances into cash so that the hospitals can use that to operate on and not put costs, costly resources and overhead towards trying to collect it. And one way to do that is through the sale of the, of, of the receivable. And I'll tell you, five, five six, seven, uh, 10 years ago, even some of the groups that had been buying patient responsibility receivables in our industry who were early in the space, um, they had an uphill battle because it was a foreign concept to the healthcare mm-hmm. providers. Today, mm-hmm. it's, it's becoming not only acceptable, but it's also becoming, co- it's, it's almost becoming commonplace with a lot of the larger, more sophisticated healthcare providers. So. right
0: so are the how are the economics so in that segment for purchasing patient receivables are they similar or comparable to the others that you that you've been buying
1: uh, economics in terms of uh, let me just clarify your question uh, economics in terms of uh, you know how much from an
0: investor standpoint can yeah. you still do that Do you need a different kind of capital uh, different infrastructure to support and service it or can you leverage what you currently have can you leverage your current capital and your current infrastructure do you need to bring in new people to, uh, to service and manage that, that class, those types of assets. Yeah. Yeah.
1: If, if you are an organization that's not currently in the healthcare space, the learning curve is significant. Uh, healthcare hands down is the most financially and operationally complex, uh, industry that, that we operate in. There are so many different facets to it and so many different, again, the financial classes, right? Right. How you handle a commercial insurance receivable and a patient responsibility receivable and a motor vehicle accident claim receivable, right? Mm -hmm. Those are just three financial Mm -hmm. classes. How you handle those is distinctly different. And and, and so understanding the underlying assets that are in these portfolios, uh, I, I know... Uh, you know, unfortunately, I know, I know uh, companies and groups that have attempted to come into healthcare with um, kind of a half, half loaded gun, if you will. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and those experiences were not favorable for those organizations, because they really, truly didn't understand the nuances um, and and truly have the operational infrastructure necessary to kind of Weed through the 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 receivables and understand what ha, what and how to to appropriately manage those from an economics perspective. And you asked the question, someone answer it from an economics perspective. Um, I think that that uh, you know the the returns from it from an investor perspective on that side of it. Um, obviously, they're going to be variable depending upon the type of, of transaction you're trying to structure. Uh, it's going to be risk adjusted. Uh, you know, if it's a higher risk transaction, that the returns need to be higher. If it's a lower risk transaction, the returns can be lower. But I, I think that of uh, certainly of all the industries that we have historically operated in, uh, healthcare is uh, for us. Um, how should I sh- How sh- how how should I say this? It's the horse that we've picked to ride because we've had a very favorable
0: uh, outcome in how we've built our company around it. Right. And and you said that uh, if you're not, if you haven't been in healthcare, this is extremely, you know, tr- extremely difficult segment to learn. And up until those acquisitions, you hadn't been in healthcare. So it was really, your strategy was to grow through acquisition because you couldn't do it organically. Initially, that's, that's exactly right. Initially right. we, we, um
1: we needed to make sure uh, we needed to to understand all the nuances and the best way to do that was to acquire the talent and the knowledge base right. and the pedigree by and by acquiring those companies that gave us
0: that all right so let's take a step back to the past for a moment because the way your parents built the companies in the past in part was through acquisition some organic but also through acquisition and there was that company in Houston i think in subrogation <clears throat> That yep. was acquired a few years ago because yep. subrogation i mean it's different than healthcare, but it's there are some similarities and it's sure. extremely complex yeah and if you if you haven't already been in it it's hard to teach it to yourself so talk a little bit about the strategy of growth through acquisition because i know all of our listeners uh look at that as an option regardless of what segment they're in what have you learned from you know the past of first fam in mm-hmm. terms of acquisitions the, what what were the good the good things you learned what were the bad things that you learned through acquisitions because it's not easy yeah i
1: would say the first thing is sometimes you can bite off more than you can chew mm-hmm. right <laughs> and 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 so that, that there's been some learning experiences uh and and as with most of us uh the the best lessons learned are oftentimes the failures that we have right and so we 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 absolutely had some i, I wouldn't call them um, you know, catastrophic failures, but they certainly didn't meet the targets that we expected them to meet. And so, uh,
0: can you cite a few examples? Or
1: well, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll present it this way: that um, one of the things that I've learned about our and, and our approach to acquiring companies, my approach right now into into growing our business into the future, and part of our growth strategy is it's right now it's a it's an organic growth strategy that's complemented by an act by a by a, a mm-hmm. growth through acquisition strategy. Mm-hmm. Our approach to the business is probably different than some of the other groups. Um, Our our approach, number one, is to only identify companies that are niche, that that operate in niche or niche spaces that are complementary to our current business with very little crossover. Right now, I'm sure a lot of people approach their acquisition strategy that way. But more important is we look for organizations that are uh, really small and, and have reached glass what I call glass ceilings. They mm-hmm. can't break through those ceilings mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons, maybe compliance issues or, or 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 the cost to maintain or to grow to the next level. They don't have the infrastructure or the capital to grow because right. of the compliance requirements. And so we focus on what we call tuck-in acquisitions, mm-hmm. which are companies that are generally smaller than us uh, by 50% or less in mm-hmm. terms of their size. Uh, smaller than us, about 50% of our size or less and so that we can easily quote unquote tuck them in mm-hmm, to us mm-hmm. and um, because we've we have uh, acquired companies that have been of like size or even larger in the past and um, in, in those instances some there, there were things that and, and, and mistakes made that um, you know hurt because of the size of those organizations whereas with a smaller, a smaller organization that we're acquiring. Sometimes you're going to make mistakes, and if you make some mistakes or things happen or there's client attrition, they don't impact you that bad, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, but but we are we are absolutely focused on a, a, a growing through acquisition,
0: uh, but again, in more of a tuck in acquisition style, right? Kind of and so, some of the obstacles to a successful quote tuck in, you said client attrition, and what would cause that? What, what would cause it in, in an acquisition is it? The the parent company doesn't appreciate how to service those clients, or the what would cause a client attrition in in an acquisition, or let's say an integration of an acquisition.
1: No, great question. So, some, you know, one of the things that that, and this is a, a lesson that we learned uh, in that process. People are very sensitive, even even in talking with their clients about telling their clients they're going to sell their company. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're certainly sensitive about talking about it with their with their employees and and, and uh, management unless it's a management of the highest level, and so um, attrition, oftentimes we find uh, happens because a relationship manager, a person that really has the relationship with that client, which oftentimes isn't. The ceo, or I should say, sometimes it's not the chief executive officer, or it's not uh, the the top brass of the company. It could be a sales executive mm-hmm. uh, overlooking that that person was the one that really was the glue for mm-hmm. that relationship, mm-hmm. and it wasn't the team that was left behind. That could be catastrophic to you. And so there were an, a couple of instances, or really one specific instance that I can remember, where where um, we uh, kind of took. What was told to us as, you know, we've got the relationship, this person isn't that important. And when right. in reality, that person was very important and right. that client. So then up.
0: that must have meant that to the parent, the acquiring company didn't or wasn't able to institutionalize the relationship fast enough. Yeah, sure. Uh, so that it was just the salesperson, not the company. So yeah. I guess that challenges the value of the value proposition of the acquiring company, the parent. Is that, yeah. that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. What kept you awake at night during during those periods of acquisition? And then even going forward now, you've got this huge strategy at the 360. It's gigantic. Yeah. I mean, I, I, how, how do you stay focused? What keeps you up at night, Matt? Talk, talk to us about personally how you're navigating through this opportunity going forward.
1: Yeah, so... Uh, coming from a, well, let me say this. Coming from a, a family of serial entrepreneurs, and 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 really, literally, you know, building this business from the first two employees to where we're at today, with a, with a, with a couple hundred employees um, spread across uh, two main operational locations and one satellite office. Uh, a lot of things keep me up at night, <laughs> <laughs> besides your kids, well, and my children. Okay. My children <laughs> keep me up at night. Uh, no, but um, you know as 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 an entrepreneur you're you're constantly looking and uh and and trying to keep your eye on so many different things mm-hmm. right um and so many different areas and you're trying to keep your 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 feet planted but at the same time you got to you got to have your hand in a lot of different areas in order to to make sure that you feel comfortable that the business is running the right way um and so one of my challenges has been candidly is is for me personally has been uh, and, I, and I wouldn't call myself a control freak because that's not what I am. But but I'm I'm, I'm certainly like to be tangibly involved mm-hmm. in, in all areas of the business. Mm-hmm. And so a challenge for me has really been uh, at the beginning of this year, beginning of 2015, I started taking steps to intentionally uh, uh, give more Delegate. delegation delegation yeah. to my management and to the management mm-hmm. and, the, and the team and people around us, right, yeah. and, and 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 people around me. And that's been uh it's been tough right because sometimes you feel like you're flying the plane but you can't see and, and right and uh maybe i am or maybe i'm not trained for uh, uh for flying through the clouds when i can't see everything that's going on so uh, that that's been tough for me um you know we one of the other things that 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 uh you know quote unquote keeps me up at night is making sure that we stay ahead of our competition and where the industry is going and i mentioned it earlier one of the new pro- I, I touched on it earlier one of the new products that uh, and solutions that we're rolling out uh, is in partnership with an, with another group but we are really excited about what 2016 is bringing for us and there's there's two two new thing two new initiatives that um, that we're focused on rolling out one is within the uh, it's it's within healthcare but it's specific to um, the the personal injury claim uh motor vehicle accident space uh, we have we have looked at the way that, that that industry has done business for years and and looked at the good the bad and the ugly and we spent much of 2015 developing uh, what work what we're calling our own quote-unquote provider network it's a subsidiary company of ours called Meritbridge. bridge and um, we spent a lot of a lot of time this year and I've got uh, two great two other great operating partners in this business that that uh, I joined up with to help drive the growth and development of it. And, and that initiative uh, for us has been, it's exciting. And uh, in fact, I just got back from uh, Denver, Colorado earlier this week uh, on, on rolling out that, that market with um, uh, several healthcare providers and some other, other business associates in that, in, in that area. So uh, we, we've been working on that and we've created our own uh, kind of hub and spoke model where, where we are the hub, we are the provider network, and um, we can help provide healthcare to uninsured accident, accident victims by having their representing attorneys in this case in mm-hmm. the personal injury space refer those patients through our provider network and those healthcare providers of course can, can uh, rest assured that they're going to get reimbursed or, or paid for the procedures. Um, up front on those, on those types of procedures. The other, the other area that I'm really, really excited about is our patient financing that we've been working on, uh, specifically to combat and to deal with uh, the issues I talked about earlier with the significant and sustained growth that's, that the healthcare uh, industry is going to be experiencing over the next uh, three to five years and patient responsibility balances. And healthcare providers just cannot simply survive if their patient responsibility balances go to thirty and forty percent of their total AR mm-hmm. without having a financial reimbursement tool mm-hmm. up front shortly it after accelerates the cash flow. It accelerates the cash flow right. shortly after data service. Not right. waiting till it gets to bad debt, right? up front so that so that they can that they can have a financial reimbursement tool there. And so uh, we are going to be launching uh, we we've been working on it behind the scenes, but uh, in January of, of sixteen, we'll be coming out with our our uh, um, I'll, I'll describe it this way, our patient loyalty card program, which is a patient financing solution that hospitals uh, will be able to, to leverage and uh, get accelerated cash flow uh, mm-hmm. from all those patient balances mm-hmm. that, that opt into the program. It's going to be a non-discriminatory 0% APR patient financing platform um, There's no credit underwriting. Uh, All patients can qualify as long as they meet the requirements. Mm -hmm. One of the main requirements being they have to make a a payment to opt-in. Matt,
0: one thing you haven't mentioned today very much, which surprises me, is regulation. Mm. Now, we know it's a huge issue for many, many other verticals. The CFPB, uh, we've got HIPAA in healthcare, but the CFPB hasn't really done much yet in healthcare. Do you you see them, that body, um, increasing its... Survey or oversight uh, in the healthcare space.
1: Yeah, without with, without a doubt, and they and they've they've already started to uh, uh, insert themselves into the healthcare space. Uh, there's been a, there's been one or two. I think there's two specific um, instances that I'm aware of mm-hmm. where they've already started to uh, create some enforcement within healthcare. And it's funny you say this. I, I was with a client uh, just day before yesterday here locally in the Georgia market and uh, talking to them about the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And they right. said, and they asked me, who's the Consumer Financial Protection <laughs> Bureau? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> get ready. Get, I said, that's exactly <laughs> what I said. I said, just get ready. Yes. Um, and, you know, th- that has been one of the most fundamentally, um, cha- chal- I don't know if challenging is the word, but it's certainly been a, a component to our industry that has changed the face of our industry and how, how our industry and in in, uh, whether it's in the consumer financial space and eventually now soon to come into the healthcare space, how it operates. Um, the, the, it's, no, it's no secret to those that are in banking or other uh, financial uh, industries that the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau has been uh, um, inserting itself and, and uh, in, in various areas and. and And really changing the way that these organizations, banks, non-bank financial institutions, and and again, I think soon healthcare providers operate uh, with respect to, uh, you know, interacting and communicating with the consumer. Now, here's what's different about healthcare. Today, if we use 16% Mm -hmm. as as what the patient responsibility balances are, 84% of all healthcare-related transactions Mm -hmm. have nothing to do with the patient. Mm -hmm. So one of the reasons that that I believe, uh, and in speaking with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, one of the ble- reasons I believe that that they have um, really slowed or slow-paced into mm-hmm. coming into the healthcare industry is because it is a very complex industry, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. only a small portion of it really deals with right. the patient or the consumer. Right. Um, but there is a portion that does, and and um, and and anything that touches or interfaces with the patient. Concerning a financial transaction, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau has made it clear that they mm-hmm. want to mm-hmm. oversee that, mm-hmm. and that they want to make sure that healthcare providers, um, and and the associated companies and revenue cycle mm-hmm. management companies that support the healthcare space are are adhering to the rule sets and the policy making that the CFPB is is um, looking to enforce. Mm-hmm.
0: One last personal question, then we'll wrap it up. Uh, I always like to ask people, uh, what books are reading? What, what's on your nightstand? What, what, what is the last book you read that was really inspiring? Good, good, good question. So, uh, there's
1: actually two books that I'm, that I'm, uh, currently in the middle of, of reading in parallel. Um, Harvard Business Reviews, uh, book on managing others. Uh, it's really, a, it's really a, a, a compilation of about, uh, 15 or 20 different individual, um, hbr harvard harvard business review articles that have been written over time about uh, the various qualities and traits and um, mechanisms on managing others and it it takes it from a very different approach it's not a traditional business school textbook approach there's a lot of spiritual Mm -hmm. uh, influence in these articles that i've been reading Um, some directly related through a christian spiritual influence and some not um, so I, I'm I'm uh, just finishing that book up right now, and I'm just uh, uh, starting uh, a book called Purpose uh, Purpose Driven Life, which is uh, uh, 40 days. Uh, it's it's more of a Christian based book, but uh, I've committed. And, and the to- author is that Rick Warren. Yeah, uh, it is yeah Reborn, yeah I've yeah, read Reborn, it. yeah, yeah. and uh, it's a fo- it's i'm I'm excited. I'm just I'm just on day uh, two, right? I just started it, so I'm just on day two, but I've committed myself for forty days to read that book and it's sitting on my nightstand right now, and uh, I'll be on uh, day three tonight. What's the first lesson
0: you learned from that book?
1: Well, I mean from from a, first of all, and, and and it's it's a lesson that it's it's been a lesson that's been refreshed, right? I I knew the principle of it, but it's it's refreshed in my mind now that I that I've cracked the book, is that we have to we have to understand that uh, for 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 those that you know uh, believe that the God is sovereign, that that He is involved in all areas of our life, and that He is the one that uh, brings opportunity and 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 allows for struggle to come, and uh, so we're we're um, uh, we we have to we have to have a str- or at least for me I have a strong sense of reliance upon Him to help me um, through the good and the bad and through the struggles and and so that uh, and have faith that uh, everything that comes into our life, both positive and negative, there's a purpose for it, right? And that purpose is
0: part of our growth and that mm-hmm. purpose is part of our life story. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. What's interesting, and as we conclude here today with with uh, Matt Maloney, that uh, uh, you started, we started talking about the history in your family's business from 1970. So, and you're building on that history, that foundation, that legend. And now you're thinking about legacy going forward mm-hmm. and you still have many, many years going forward, but. In 2016, then, what are, just to wrap it up, what are your goals then to uh, enhance and build this legacy on the legend of your family? What, what are your kind of New Year's resolutions in achieving the beginning of this legacy that is your purpose?
1: Yeah, no, great, great, great question. Great way to wrap up. Uh, number one is empowering and, and continuing to allow the team around me and, the, and and really the team at large to empower each of us to, to um, do the best that we can to, to grow and to continue to take steps forward. Sometimes those are big steps forward. Sometimes those are small steps forward. But as long as we're pacing and taking steps forward in this whole evolution of our business um, and that we have principles that are rooted in honesty, integrity, integrity, um, uh, integrity and in dealing you know integrity is really tested when uh someone really comes in and 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 and, and treats you a wrong treats you the wrong way mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. treats you the wrong way how are you going to respond mm-hmm. to that right mm-hmm. there's an old saying you hear it when you're a kid kill him with kindness right mm-hmm. and, and and a lot of that is rooted on on some faith-based principles and so empowering my team to operate with that mindset and and i firmly believe that by taking that approach in business and staying focused being the the second key piece mm-hmm. to it staying focused on growing the new product lines and businesses right. that we've been growing um, one with the in the motor vehicle accident space the other with the patient financing and then continuing to build on the platform that we currently have but taking that approach and having that mindset um, good things are going to come good things are going to happen doesn't mean it doesn't mean that you don't always take a step back
0: all right but, all right but sometimes you have to sometimes you back. have to that's how you learn take the right. step back to go forward that's so right. yeah. So it's empowerment focus and that's the legacy that I,
1: that I want to build on right
0: and that's your new year's resolutions for 2016
1: yeah
0: Matt we can't wait to hear more about it next year and, and uh, look forward to having you as a guest again on uh, Capital Club Radio thank you very much thank you this show is brought to you by Flock Specialty Finance to learn more please visit FlockFinance.com